0: Hey, when does the show start? Wait wait a minute. (gasps) First, let's hear from our sponsors. Oh, okay. In just a minute.
1: They don't call Mad Dog Manny for nothing. Talking about Manny Aurora, who visits the Bailey Show podcast a couple times a month. We talk defense, criminal law, right? That's what he does for a living. Located in Atlanta, Georgia, but practices nationwide. Handled litigation in 19 different states. Any questions that you might have for Manny Aurora, you can either shoot it to him personally at his law firm, com, or you can call our hotline and leave us a voicemail for the next visit from Manny Aurora. Mad Dog, Manny Aurora, 404-369-3825. As a former prosecutor, they at the Aurora Law Firm understand the other side of the case. Top 100 national trial lawyers at the Aurora Law Firm, specializing in criminal law. If you need them, you need to get a hold of them today. TheAuroraLawFirm.com. And again, you got any questions for Mad Dog, Manny Aurora, next time he stops in the studio, get a hold of us, PodcastTheBS.com. Look, doing a new kitchen or bath, that's a big undertaking, right? So you want to go to somebody that's like a one-stop shop, like UCI Kitchen and Bath. They've been Atlanta's number one cabinet, granite, and quartz fabricator and installer for the past 20 years. That's what I'm talking about, a one-stop shop. Uh, They provide the installation of whatever you buy. Speaking of, you mentioned the BS, the Bailey Show podcast, and you're getting 10% off your regularly priced countertops. That's a nice little savings, right? You can visit the Norcross, Georgia showroom location, let their design team transform your kitchen and bathroom into a beautiful and functional environment to fit your personality. It's just upping your property value. You can get with all the latest trends because they got them right there on the showroom. Servicing all of Georgia and parts of Alabama, Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Florida. How do you get a hold of them? very simple ucigranite.com the letters u c i the word granite.com
2: i love people all right all right all right the bs presents let's talk to people. strange when are ah! i cannot wait to see who it is Oh, wait. Oh, wait. I hope it's Frank
0: Sinatra's ghost. Oh. Podcast the
2: BS.com. It's better than radio.
1: We've we've talked a lot about the most hated man on the internet, on Netflix. Uh, I love to talk to people that are a part of the story, because in this situation, this is a real life story. Uh, what I like even better is when researching our guests right now, Charlotte Laws, that not only is she in this Netflix documentary about this horrible person in the name of Hunter Moore, um, but wow, what an amazing woman you are. Jesus, Mary and Joseph. What, uh, instead of listing all the things you've done, let me ask you, what have you not done?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. That's a very nice compliment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I have had a very active life. That's true. <laughs>
1: oh my, oh my God! And it, you kind of—it's kind of alluded to in, in the Netflix doc. But you've had over thirty different jobs, everything from a lecturer at the FBI Academy at Quantico, private eye, director of legal corporation, cab driver, actress, chip chatter. Whatever that, whatever that is, fashion, fashion designer, nurse, backup singer for an Elvis imitator, bodyguard, what? Magazine cover girl, realtor, that's what my wife does, stand-up comic, and then there's an et cetera. And you're an Atlanta debutante because you guys are from uh, Georgia originally.
0: Yes, I am. I'm from Atlanta. I was yeah. raised in Atlanta. Yeah, I mean, I you know, it's interesting seeing what different people do and what different professions are all about. So I've kind of dabbled in a lot of different areas and it's it's been yeah it's kind of fun so what, what part i guess of, that's my excuse
1: what, what part of atlanta because i'm in i'm in atlanta
0: yeah i was i was raised in buckhead mm-hmm. and then the last house we had was in north springs which is a mm-hmm. area next to sandy springs yeah. and i went to love school if you've heard of love it yeah. And, um, yeah, so that's oh. where I'm from. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> your hometown. Love, I, I live, I live
1: in Roswell. So yeah, I'm very familiar. Yeah. So, right.
0: And, right.
1: and then you make your way out to LA to what? Become an actress or what?
0: Well, I wasn't really thrilled with the weather in Georgia, to be honest. I'm really into like a lot of sunshine and a lot of heat. Mm -hmm. And I was really miserable growing up. It was just too cold for me. As funny as that sounds, because I realize it's not Minnesota or Alaska, but to me it was cold. And so I came West mainly for warmer weather. And I was interested in the entertainment industry initially. That's true. And I did do some, you know, B movies and that kind of thing when I was much younger. And uh, so, yeah, so I I like it in LA a lot.
1: And you were, Party crasher as well. Uh, you were crashing all these parties, sure. these White House parties.
0: Remember, uh,
1: it was yeah, like I, I... early two thousands. The blonde who eventually married, I think Neil Sean from uh, from Journey. She was she crashed the the White House party. She ripped off your gimmick, Charlotte.
0: She did. No, I'm listed as the fourth most notorious party crasher in the world. I always wanted the Nobel Peace Prize, but now that I'm the fourth most notorious party crasher, I mean, you can't get any better than that, right? And I beat Bill Murray, um, Serena Williams, Lady Gaga, and Queen Elizabeth. we are on the list. It's crazy. These people, you know, Bill Murray's known for his party crashing. I mean, he's actually been doing that a long time. So, yeah, so it's really good company to be included with. And I think you're talking about maybe the Salahis. I'm not sure but they um they crashed the white house and they were the last one like number 12 i think on the list or number 15 on the list something like that
1: you're you're sitting there you're sitting there pointing at the tv going that was my
0: gig that's what i did (laughs) (laughs) but out
1: but outside of uh, outside of all that because that's that's fun and games um you know you have uh, a doctorate from usc two master's Mm -hmm. degrees two ba degrees uh you completed postgraduate study at oxford university in england and the most important job that you've had out of everything that we've already discussed in this first couple minutes is being a mom. Uh and <laughs> as as a father to a now senior in high school this kind of hit a chord a little bit. Um mm-hmm. you know because you know it, my eyes my daughter is perfect. She's a princess. She does no wrong. And but <laughs> but but look we were all teenagers at one time and parents don't know everything in your case you obviously had no idea uh, and nor really should you that your teenage daughter was taking some photos of her body but not sharing them with anyone she emailed them to herself and when you watch this the most hated man on the internet and that's kind of how it starts a lot of people are, are going to question and which they should because it makes for good tv oh yeah You're not sending it to anyone, I believe you. I'm sure you heard that a million times over, Charlotte.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I have heard that a lot in the past. Not recently, but yeah, Yeah. 10 years ago, that was one of the complaints is that I was just not, you know, a willing to admit that she was sending it out, but she was not sending it out. And I know my daughter really well, and she's extremely conservative, and I know she wouldn't do that. And she only took one topless picture. The rest of them, there were like over 100 clothed pictures. So she really did send him to her email. And I believed her from the second she told me that. And I think that people have a right to take pictures of themselves anyway. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's the hacker who's at fault, not my daughter. Even if she had sent it to someone, it would not be her fault that she took these pictures. I mean, she's, you know, allowed to take pictures of herself. It's the, the, there should always be laws against distribute distribution of Pornography that's not with consent. And I I that, agree
1: with you, one hundred and ten percent. You know the uh, the other week, uh, one of the last episodes we we're talking about Pam and Tommy on Hulu, and if you watch that, I don't know if you've seen it or not. You know, you get this. At least I did. Nate, not so much, but I did. I like had so much compassion and empathy for both of them because their most intimate moment that they filmed. Now, granted, it was in public. But they are the only ones with this footage was stolen from them. They were mm-hmm. exploited. They were blackmailed. People made a profit off this. It, for the most part, ruined Pamela Anderson's career. And, you know, and still in those days, those mid-90s, there was a, it was still lopsided. You know, the guy, yeah, high five. Oh, what a whore, what a slut, you know, for the female. Right. Um, you know, I think right. we've evolved from that. But back to the the pictures of what people were, you know, oh, Yeah, sure. She didn't send him out. But then it's proven when Charlotte doesn't stop and finds out that not only her daughter, but numerous other women were having the same issue, finding out that their email was hacked. And that's what made you go bulldog on this Hunter Moore, Right.
0: Right. Right, and that's when I got the FBI involved, and I gave them my 12-inch stack of research and investigation and handed it over. And luckily, they got approval to move forward because they initially had told me that there was a very slim chance they'd be able to move forward because they said they normally only take cases that involve a large loss of money, and most of these victims hadn't lost much money or any money.
1: Mm-hmm. But what we don't see, I mean, it's alluded to and we can kind of come to our own conclusion of the years. This took years. This process took years with so many people getting involved. Um, but with you and your family and the death threats from this dude's mm-hmm. social media, again, early days of social media uh, uh, following, quote unquote, the family. I mean, they're saying the most horrible things. you. They're going to rape you. They're going to kill you. They're going to murder you. They're going to. Mm-hmm have sex with your mm-hmm. daughter and make you, I mean like things that would make me jump out of my couch, off my couch right. and want to find them and beat the shit out of them kind of thing. Right. How did you deal with that?
0: I mean, It's scary because you don't know who these people are. You know, they're anonymous essentially and they could be, they could have guns, they could mm-hmm. be ex-cons, they can have anger issues. You just don't know how serious they are. So that's what's scary. I went out and got locks for the gates so they couldn't get into the backyard. We slept with metal bars under the bed both me and my daughter. And um, one thing that the docu-series doesn't show is that we actually had a stalker at our house on two separate evenings. And um, by this time, it was really late. This was like a year into everything happening. And I was so fed up. And so I marched out to the car and my daughter was like running behind me going, mom what are you gonna do mom what are you gonna do and I went up to this guy sitting in the car and I said may I help you and he was like a young maybe in his 20s blonde curly hair and he just freaked out when he saw me he turned on the car and he sped away but he had been doing something in his lap and it's my belief that he was probably trying to hack into our network because a computer expert had told me that to beware of unusual cars or vans on the street because they would probably need to be close to the house to do that and that's Somebody might try to do that because I'd already gotten lots of computer viruses because Hunter's followers had targeted me for that as well. So, um, yeah, so that's not in the story, but there was, you know, it was a pretty scary time because you just, you know, as I said, the internet, you just don't know. And these people come together, you know, this subculture, it's like a subculture of hatred and attempts to ruin people's lives. And they all come together and they just kind of ratchet it up and egg each other on and become more and more filled with hate, you know, so it gets And worse and worse, you know, as they, you know, continue to try to get each other to go after victims and after me in, in this particular case.
1: But, but you, you didn't seem rattled. That's why, you know, out, out of all the people on the docuseries, I hunted you down because your strength. <laughs> no, I, I, I kid you not, Charlotte. You're like, I, I, I'm 6'3", 212 pounds, give or take, right? <laughs> I would have been terrified. You didn't seem like it. you were rattled at all.
0: Well, I mean, I, I was concerned about it, you know, but I'm 4'11", so just so you don't, <laughs> in case you don't know, I'm very short. <laughs> but um, I was concerned about it, but I actually felt like I couldn't leave the house because I felt like I had to protect... Not only my human family, but I had to protect my non-human family because I had dogs and I also have chickens. I have six chickens now. So I kind of felt like they were the most vulnerable on my property. And so I thought, well, I can't leave because I got to protect everybody. That was kind of my mindset more than anything.
1: Was your so. was your husband that hands off? Seems like the <laughs> nicest guy in the world, but very, very passive, very docile.
0: Yeah, he's he's laid back and he's he's an intellectual. He went to Oxford University. He um he was a barrister in England and he was a California attorney. He's retired now, but he's really really smart. He can recite entire Shakespearean plays. He's mm-hmm. he's very, you know, but if we need to like paint the walls, I'm the one who does it. He doesn't do it. If somebody <laughs> has to take the trash out, I'm the one who does it. He doesn't do it. So, you know, he is he's a laid back, you know, Englishman <laughs> right so this,
1: this was not discussed in the, because he's not the biological father of your daughter correct right and right. if this is too private please tell me and I'll move on um but I was no, cu- no, not- I, I was curious her father uh, where was he at is he still in the picture and during this time was he involved
0: yeah he lives in New York and he would um he met her when she was I guess 11 years old so um and he's you know, flew her to New York like twice a year to spend time with her. And um, so, I mean, they had a good relationship, but she didn't want him to know either. In fact, he didn't find out to even later than my husband, because she didn't want people to know she was too embarrassed. She was too humiliated. Mm. She felt totally violated. So originally it was just our secret, although lots of it, you know, got out from her friends knew and her workplace and they threatened to fire her at her waitress job. And, you know, people found out about it, but she didn't want us telling, Anyone. And then eventually we told her dad in New York. And the guy she was dating lived in New Jersey at that time. And he was super conservative. And she was afraid that he would break up if he found out she had a topless picture because he used to get angry with her. Even if she wore a low cut shirt, he would say, you know, change your clothes. That's, you know, too low cut. So he was super conservative. And so she was afraid he would find out as well. So, you know, it was a very hush hush for quite a while.
1: She's got to stop dating those Amish guys. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I Amish, what are you gonna do about them
1: <laughs> you damn cheats in your holes stop bringing them over to my house uh <laughs> nate do you have a question for charlotte laws nate
2: yeah uh like i mean at the time there wasn't a lot of legislation i i assume who was like the first person that actually listened to you and, and took you seriously
0: on, well, legislation, yeah, there was nothing. And um, Senator Anthony Canella from southern, from Northern California was the first person to bring forth legislation. So I worked with him, and we got something passed in California. So we were the first state to have a full-on anti-revenge porn law. But it was very difficult because the victim blaming was pervasive, not only from you know law enforcement and regular public, but also from politicians. And it was an uphill battle. And the ACLU was against us. They were fighting us all the way. And they're still fighting on the federal legislation. And uh, additionally, we had politicians in Sacramento, California, who didn't want um, additional felonies because they didn't want the, you know, they said the prisons are already too full. So we don't want More laws that put people in prison, so they wanted it to be a misdemeanor. So that was another hurdle that we faced. And today, for federal legislation, some of the people on the progressive side of the Democratic Party are, you know, they believe in defund the police. And so they don't want a federal law because they, again, feel they don't want more laws that put people in jail. So those are kind of the current hurdles. And those were really also my hurdles in trying to get it passed in California and then in other states. So, um, but yeah, we were the first and canella was the first one to bring it forward. And I knew what's going to happen because there was a girl who, from his district, and I was actually on vacation in Las Vegas at the time. I saw it on TV and I thought, There's going to be a law now. I knew it because she killed herself over revenge porn. She had been sexually assaulted by a bunch of men and she, it was horrible. She was, you know, the rapes were horrible, but she was going to live through it until like two weeks later when the video of it and the images of it surfaced on the internet and she couldn't handle the revenge porn. And her parents will tell you it was not the rapes that she killed herself over. It was the revenge porn. And they will tell you the revenge porn is worse than rape for her. That's what happened with her and there's another girl in Canada that also had the exact kind of same story and she also killed herself over the revenge porn, not over the multiple sexual assaults and her parents will tell you the same thing because I talked to both sets of parents
1: that's 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 horrible so is this is this thing turned into progressed into a right-left thing? Has it become that political?
0: No, it's really, it's actually bipartisan now. Um, When we first started out, it was the Republicans who were helping with the cause and the Democrats were the hurdle. And I think the reason is because they were, you know, they wanted to do what the ACLU wanted because they're kind of of the same ilk, essentially the same mindset. And I think that's why it was harder at the beginning to get the Democrats on board. For example, I met with Adam Schiff way back, you know, I don't know, nine years ago, eight years ago. And he said, I will never support a federal law on this issue. But now he's changed his mind. And now, and Jackie Speier, who's a Democrat, is the one who brought this legislation forward for a federal law and has been pushing it for years. So it's definitely a bipartisan issue. So, um, but I don't think it's gonna pass because she's leaving office. She's retiring in November. And her office told me a month ago that there's only a 4% chance it's gonna pass. So in other words, they're like, They've already kind of given up, I think, and they don't know who's going to take the torch forward after she leaves. If there's anyone else in Congress, you know, who might want to do that. So I don't know why it's so hard to get it as a federal law, but it would be a felony if it passed.
1: What what do you think uh, the, the change was in that nine years from some of those people on the left having a change of heart?
0: I think it was probably a lot of it had to do with the Me Too movement. And um, it just kind of shifted the view that, you know, the change, it took away the victim blaming. I mean, that's what I faced. It was, it was horrible. I mean, I had like a, a New York publishing house, you know, very liberal publishing house. Right. And an editor contacted me and said, you know, we want you, we want to do a book on this. Right. And so she pitched it to her board and she said, half the room was like, it's the victim's fault. Who cares about them? You know, I mean, they were like, didn't have any sympathy whatsoever Mm -hmm. for these victims. And she said she was stunned. She couldn't even believe it. So, and that was my experience too, going around. I belonged to this political group. I used to go every month and it was, you know, I'm an independent. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I've always been an independent, but most of the people were liberals in that political group. And I told them about this story back 10 years ago and they were like, well, that would never happen to me. You know, they're slots. So that's the own problem, it's their own fault, and we don't care, and that was what everybody felt. I mean, that's what we were up against constantly, plus the media were glorifying Hunter Moore. Wow, isn't he cool? This is such an innovative business model. I mean, he was getting the headlines, he was getting all the interviews, he was getting feature stories, and us... Nobody cared about us. Nobody cared about the victims. We were lucky if we got like the last sentence of an article. That was the best we could hope for because nobody cared about our perspective. So as time progressed, I think it probably was, first of all, some of the politicians got into hot water with revenge porn. So I think Mm -hmm. it made them open their eyes and go, oh, crap, you know, maybe we should do something about this. And secondly, we had the Me Too movement, which really shifted the perspective and made people stop victim blaming, you know, everything very much shifted at that point.
1: That That's what I was going to say. I, I, I'm guaranteeing the change of heart with at least some of them was because it personally affected them. That's the bullshit we deal with with these politicians. I've dealt with it before, you know, I was fighting a gambling issue years ago in Florida and certain people were just like, no, and I am not going up against the mouse. It's not happening. You know, years later, they're all for it because they see the money and the jobs. You know, it's just, it's all... It's it's right time, right place. It's It's not not even common sense because this to me is common sense. It's to me is you don't allow a hunter more to control as much as he controlled while stealing, stealing your Mm -hmm. stuff. It's like he broke into your house and he stole your pictures and he scanned them. That's the equivalent, if not worse Mm -hmm. than what he's doing Mm -hmm. You or what he did.
0: Yeah. You're absolutely right. And that's what told the police detective at the Los Angeles Police Department when we first went there. I, you know, I went in there and about the hacking and wanted to file a report. And she said to Kayla, well, why would you take a picture like this if you didn't want it on the Internet? So she was doing the victim blaming. And I said, you know, I told her she was victim blaming. And I said, if Kayla had taken a picture with a Polaroid, stuck it in a dresser drawer, mm-hmm. somebody had broken in and stolen it. You know, would you be blaming her for taking the picture or would you do your job and arrest the criminal? And she was exasperated and said, well, I'll get some forms. And, but, you know, so I called the FBI when we got home because I knew I could tell they weren't going to do anything. And, you know, law enforcement was not really equipped for cybercrime. You know, they were into brick and mortar crime. So I think they didn't really want to handle cases anyway that were cybercrime because it's just like too hard for them. They're not trained in that. So I think that was another hurdle that we faced
1: since the the hunter Moore victory in which by the way let's let's you won um and and you had not only helped What what's that
0: the victims one <laughs> yes
1: yeah. so you representing the victims is what i'm saying <laughs> you, you know with the help of the fbi they were slow but doing their due diligence and they did what the fbi mm-hmm. does but you got help from a group that i've dealt with in the past too anonymous <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was really cool. Actually. Yeah. yeah. He, um, somebody on Twitter contacted me and said, you know, wanted to DM with me that d- direct message with me and then wanted to phone me. So I had a phone conversation with this guy named Jack and, um, he told me he was going to go after Hunter the next day. And this is when everything was really crazy. I mean, the death threats were at their highest par- point against me and, um, you know, Hunter's Group, You know, his followers are really coming after me. And so this guy, you know, gave me some advice on how to protect my computer and my network and said he was going to dox Hunter the next day. And I didn't even know if it was a practical joke. I didn't know if it was really going to happen, but it did. And apparently they even declared him dead in the state of California, which is really hilarious to me, to be honest. And, um, yeah, so and I know who they are now, I can't disclose it, but Sorry. I do know who the anonymous people are and they're cool and they still contact me periodically just to chat. <laughs> yeah. they're, they're
1: a little little trippy at first, but like you, I, I I grew to like them a lot. I'm a fan of what they do. I, I they're like the, the digital Robin Hoods. You know, right. um, and when they contact you, at least in my case, it, whether it was on the phone or through email, it was in that you know computer viva vendetta stuff going on. with the computer, you know, hello, this is anonymous, and you know, I was like, cool. <laughs> and this, I, I was in Tampa at the time doing radio, and I was kind of having a little fun with the Church of Scientology, and they were all and all at war with them. So I was having a representative from the Church of Scientology on my radio show at the time, and then Anonymous would be on In The Voice. I'm like, what is this next-level stuff? (laughs) But in your case, they went after Hunter Moore and also the help of, um, his name escapes me, uh, James Jim... the military man
0: McGibney, yeah. Well, he, you know, Hunter had to take his site down anyway because he knew there was an FBI investigation and he was completely freaked out about that because the FBI was going through all of the data on his site and that was evidence that could be used against Hunter. So he had to dump the site anyway. And so James McGibney said, Well, I'll give you money for it. And Hunter's like, Great, here, I'll take the money. But then he knew that he could just bring it up the next day because all he did is sell the domain. I mean, he's got plenty of other domains. So uh, it was like a couple months later when Hunter said, oh, well, I'm going to bring the site back with all the original content. He didn't sell the content. He just sold the domain. And so that's when he said, because he thought the FBI were not investigating anymore, I didn't think they were either because they weren't even returning my phone calls at this point. So everybody thought they had dropped the investigation. So that's when Hunter went public and he said, I'm going to bring the site back. It's going to be a lot worse because I'm going to put addresses for all the victims along with driving directions on how to get to their houses. And so that's, that's when, It got really crazy against me because I put his home address on Twitter in order to let people have that address for process serving, which I had wanted to do a long time before, but the FBI had asked me to wait, so I had not done it, and um, so I got all this backlash, and that's when I got the stalker at my house, and when Anonymous called me, which was like the day after the, the stalker was here, or maybe it was even the same day. I think it was the day after. So all of this was like really a crazy time and then he got once he got doxxed by Anonymous, he was really quiet because he was clearly afraid of Anonymous. He was afraid of the FBI and he was afraid of Anonymous. He was not afraid of me, clearly. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: and, and did your daughter throughout, hold on, first off, how long of a period of time is this whole thing going on for? How many years?
2: Hold up. Wait a minute. Let's hear from our sponsors.
1: Watkins Law Firm, trial and litigation attorneys. So, if it's personal injury, wrongful death, contracts and transactions, landlord and tenant disputes, or just general civil litigation, Watkins Law Firm. LLC is where you need to go. Get a hold of Tyler Watkins, Watkins Law Firm. LLC. And here's Tyler's
2: tip of the day. So, get this it's easier to sue someone if their dog injures your livestock than it is if it injures you. If you're attacked by someone else's dog, you can only recover from the owner if you can show the dog had previously attacked someone or if it was violating a leash law. However, if that dog injures livestock, then you don't have to show anything. Amazing, isn't it? Get a hold of Tyler Watkins, Watkins Law
1: LLC, serving all of Georgia. Next time. Talk to Tyler. Looking for a new deck? Rockland Contracting? Well, David Hawks, he's the guy that can do it because he's the best at what he does. His phone has been ringing off the hook because of YouTube percenters. Guess what? That's a good thing. Keep it ringing. 678-879-3867. Deck design and build. He's got this amazing 3D software. You're going to know what you're getting before construction even starts. By the way, if you know how to build a deck, you're any good at it, Right? Uh, David Hawks is hiring, and he's paying pretty darn good. Also specializing in basement remodel, new HVAC installation, and more. LLC.com 678-879-3867. Help you help your business get to the next level. And you do that by incorporating Create Graphics in there. Whether it's vehicle wraps, corporate events you might be having, interior, exterior events, Graphic Design and Apparel. Create Graphics is a full service graphics company that specializes in graphic design, wide format printing, and graphic installation. Excellent customer service where every project is going to get that one on one experience from start to finish. CreateGraphics.net. C R E A T E G R A P H I X.net. Or you can call 770 369 9962. 770 369 9962.
2: And back to you, Jason.
0: It took, well, the whole thing from beginning to end was two years, but he got raided after a year. So he knew he was under investigation when he got raided. The hacker also got raided, but the hacker, crazy, he kept hacking. That's why the FBI couldn't believe it. He was still hacking into people's accounts. It was so weird after he was raided. So Hunter stopped doing all the illegal stuff after he was raided, but the hacker kept doing it. So so during this
1: two year span, your daughter's how old?
0: She she, when it started, she was like 24. So she wasn't a teenager. She was 24. So now she's like 25 or 26.
1: What was her life like? I mean, was she, she, you said she had a boyfriend in Jersey throughout this whole time uh, or, or what?
0: I think they broke up sometime in the middle of it, but he never found out until it was all over. And then she told him about it. And he said, oh, I wouldn't have broken up with you. I would have beat Hunter more up. That's what he said. <laughs> so, um, but he didn't find out, luckily. But when um, she was worried about it, because even the New York Times did like this feature a story about us. And it's like a big picture. She thought, Oh God, he's going to find out, but he never did actually. And, um, so her life was, you know, she had been trying to be an actress. She was living at home at that time. And because of all the attention, she didn't like the attention from the public. She didn't like being scrutinized. She didn't like negative comments. And so she realized, I don't want to be an actress because I'm going to get negative comments from the public. I want a private life. I do not want to be a public figure. So she decided to be a real estate agent, which which is something I had had a license for 35 years and been an agent myself. And so she started studying for her real estate exam. And that's when she was studying by the window that she saw the stalker parked at the street on two separate nights. That's when and we confronted him the second night. So, yeah, so that she was then studying for real estate. And then eventually she a few years later, she moved out and. Now she has her own place. She just got married about three, four weeks ago, and um, she's a very successful agent with Cole Banker.
1: Wow, good for her. And her, and, <laughs> and her husband, you know, if I were to ask your daughter a question, I'd say, what date did you tell your husband uh, this story?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I'm not sure because she's always been kind of, well, I mean, now she's pretty much leaning into it, but she didn't want to be associated with this issue She didn't even want to be in the documentary. She only decided literally like the last day they were filming. And she goes, oh, all right, I'll do a half day of filming. But she didn't even want to be in it. And she was not going to be in it initially because she feels like every time somebody reports on this issue that it's going to hurt her real estate career and a client's going to see it and they're not going to want to work with her. And that's Mm -hmm. always been her fear. She understands the importance of getting the topic out there and educating people and pushing for federal legislation. But then she has the other side that's like, oh, but it's going to really hurt my career. It's going to hurt my life. So she has mixed feelings. But now there's so much press that it's, you know, she doesn't have a choice anymore and she's leaning into it and saying, you know, that's fine. And I'm, you know, I'm going to embrace this and see the positive and, you know, Mm. and push to help other victims, et cetera. So yeah, that's kind of what's happening now.
1: Hunter Moore ended up getting charged with what and spending how much time in jail?
0: It was only he only got, I think, 30 months. And I think he spent less than that in jail. And it was, you know, they were kind of like camps. It was like drug and alcohol rehab centers. It was really soft. I mean, I was told that they if they wanted to go to the store, they just went up to the store by themselves, unsupervised, got what they needed and came back. So that's kind of what it was like. But he feels like it was a really negative experience. And I do believe that. And, you know, because I saw this little interview he did. It was very makeshift with a friend of his. But it sounded like he really does not want to commit a crime again. He does not want to go back to jail. And um, but he was only it was he did a plea deal. That's why he got such a soft sentence. He was originally looking at 42 years in prison based on the original charges. But he did this plea deal, so it was just hacking and unauthorized um, um, use use of a computer and identity theft, that kind of thing is what he was charged with. And, um, you know, he hasn't changed his mindset. He, based on what I've seen on his Twitter and on the little interview that he did, he is still a misogynist. He has never shown any remorse. He says it's everyone else's fault except his. He blames his attorney. He blames the hacker. I'm sure he blames me. And his belief system has always been that if you tear other people down, somehow it builds you up. And it's a real shame that he has that mindset. I really hope he eventually grows up and realizes that happiness comes from helping others, not tearing other people down.
1: Yeah, and he. I know he responded to the documentary people asked him, you know, why weren't you a part of it? Cause it's funny at the end, you know, when a lot of these yeah. <laughs> documentaries, they, 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 put in, you know, the little story and they, the, the text and they said, you know, w- originally he was supposed to be a part of it and then declined. And then at the end, and then it comes up it says, we decided to use his images anyway, which I thought was clever. Right. So he, yeah. he responds on Twitter saying he originally did accept and he was going to be a part of it. Yeah. But then when he found out that he wasn't going to be able to tell his story the way he wanted to tell the story, he bailed out. Is that is that true?
0: I believe that is true. And I think, you know, he's just not apologetic anyway. So I don't even know where they would have gone with the story, but I know that it would have glorified him if it had been about him. And that's what the original plan was, is it was going to be all about him. Mm. And so I'm glad that it shifted where the focus became the victims because I don't think it glorifies him at all. I think they did an excellent job and they pieced it together really well. And I think it, you know, it shows our side of the story and not his side of the story. And so I think it's a much better product than it would have been had he participated. Do you know where he lives at now? I don't know. He always lies a lot online. So he claims to live in Miami, Florida, Florida, I don't know if that's true. He may still live with his parents in Woodland, California, which is just outside Sacramento. I have no idea where he lives. (laughs) I don't keep up with I don't even care what he's doing. As long as he's not doing crimes and as long as he's not, you know, abusing women, I I just don't really care. I mean, go on, have your life, you know, be happy. I mean, I don't have any vengeful feelings or like, oh, I got to keep going after him. I don't feel that way at all. I'm just, I'd rather just forget about him and move on and, you know. You know, I'm still putting my heart and soul into not only this issue, but other issues and doing my causes, you know, essentially and my charity work is is pretty much what I put my heart and soul into. And thinking about 100 more is just a negative thing, you know, so I, I don't have any interest in that.
1: You, but you wonder, you have to wonder. They well, got, the only
0: they, reason I check is because the media keep asking me questions about it. So I'm uh, like, I got to check because I know somebody's going to ask me. So I go on his Twitter and I see, and I, you know, look, watch these very boring interviews. Oh my God, you're like fall asleep listening to these things because it's like he never <laughs> says anything. And um, so, yeah, that's the only reason I check. But I did notice in the last day, which is concerning, is that he's starting to get followers who are supporting him. Because before yesterday almost everybody on his Twitter was just attacking him, you know, oh, you know, you're horrible, go away, you should be off the internet. And now he's got like 50% of them are like, oh, we love you, Hunter, you should do this again. And, you know, he's getting a little bit of support. And that is concerning that, you know, because he hasn't learned his lesson. I mean, he liked, you know, being a professional life ruiner, he liked being like Mr. Evil, you know, the most, you know, evil person ever. That was the image that he embraced and he likes that. He apparently still does because he's certainly not trying to reform. And it's very surprising to me that he's not apologizing and being contrite because it would be a much better PR move for him <laughs> mm-hmm. because there are people in this country who are, you know, really nice people who say, uh, oh, well, he's reformed. He's changing. You know, I don't believe that would be true. I think it would be a lie if he was you know, apologizing, et cetera. But there are people who would actually say, Oh, okay. Maybe he's an okay boy now, blah, blah, blah. But he's not even doing that. He doesn't care about that. It's bad PR. He's just the same old guy. He's like a dinosaur trapped in 2012.
1: I wonder what he's doing to make money though. Like, how do you go to, how do you go go to a job, especially (laughs) after that documentary and go, I'm Hunter Moore, I want to work here at Subway and they're like, no, 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 you ain't working here, kid.
0: Well, somebody and this might not be true, but it's really funny if it's true, somebody sent me a tweet or, you know, it's, I think it's public on my thing because I retweeted it and said that his that he went to high school with Hunter, he said Hunter was a bully who beat up other kids and that one of his friends had been beat up a lot and actually went into like judo and karate because of Hunter Moore and that he ordered pizza one night and Hunter delivered Delivered the pizza. He was working for DoorDash. That's what he posted. Now, I don't know if it's true, but it's hilarious if Hunter Moore is working for DoorDash. That is really funny to me. Wow. So I, I just don't know. <laughs> you know,
1: Nate, Nate, we would have Hunter Moore on, right? As much as we don't agree with what he did, the, the you know, I'm always interested in finding out why people do the things that they do. Nate, we would have him on, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, just like the documentary, um, I wish they would have made it so he could have told his story. So at least you could hear it from his mouth because you can usually see through a liar. So, uh, I would have liked yeah, that. I'm
0: just uh, telling you, he would be a boring interview subject. I mean, just base. go watch the other two interviews he did with his friend. I mean, you're going to like go, Oh my God, is that what he's, you know, you wouldn't want him on based on that. Well, I can tell you right now.
1: Well, I, I've, I saw, you know, on the, on the documentary, they, they have, he's on different podcasts and his buddies are doing right. it. So he's, he's doing, quote-unquote, interviews with people that are putting him over, a.k.a. kissing his ass. He's never, I think... And then they showed a couple of the ones he was on with the news. It was a totally different vibe. You didn't know how to handle it in that setting. I think in my style, this setting, we could get somewhere. You know, I don't want to sit there and put him on blast, but understand why you're doing this. And there's got to be a part of this dude. You know, there's compassion in everyone. Um, there's got to be a part of this dude... Especially if he has kids out there by this age, he might. That goes, okay, if it hit home, would I feel the same way? And I think as the older you get, the more you realize that stuff, kind of like you alluded to Charlotte, but no, not him. I would think
0: so, but it got, <laughs> there's no glimpse, of, you know, there's no glimmer of that when you watch these. I mean, I, I, I would welcome you to go watch those things. He's got them posted on his Twitter and I would say, go listen to them back in the day in 2012, when Hunter did interviews, he was very entertaining and he had lots of like wild stuff to say. And it was interesting. I'm telling you these interviews, you will just like turn it off after five minutes and go, oh, my God, this is so boring. I'm well, just telling you. <laughs>
1: okay, let's just hypothetically speaking, Charlotte, let's say we get Hunter Moore on and I get you on and you could ask him one question. What would that one question be?
0: Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I just I guess I would want to find out why he thinks that hurting others makes him a bigger man and why he gets pleasure from that, I guess. Mm. I mean, that's, it's hard for me to comprehend, to be honest.
1: And there's an answer to that. And I'm sure it's a deep psych answer. Like when he was a certain age, something specific happened to him, whether it's from, you know, a, 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 a father figure, a male role model, somebody in his class, a kid in the neighborhood, There's there's a catalyst for that kind of behavior.
0: Maybe. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, I read an article that the a Guardian reporter wrote where she interviewed neighbors and the neighbor said that the his parents are really nice people and I don't know what happened with that kid. I mean, that was what they said. I believe genetics play a very strong role in who you become more mm-hmm. than environment. And um Steven Pinker says that who's an expert in that area, he says it's 70% genetics. And as an adopted kid who grew up in Atlanta with People who I was nothing like. And, um, you know, I had a very bad childhood. My mom, my adoptive mom committed suicide. My brother was killed in a car accident. My dad was abusive. I tracked down my birth family, which was very hard because the records were closed in Georgia and they're still closed in Georgia. It's one of the few states where you can't find out your information. But I got the information and now I have this great relationship with my mom and my dad. And I have a half brother and a half sister. And I'm so much like my birth family and I'm nothing like the adoptive family. So even my own experience really confirms that genetics is very strong. But with Hunter Moore, I just don't really know. I mean, I I, I can't really speak to it. I know that people throughout history, I mean, humans have been very cruel. I mean, you look back to ancient times when they were hanging someone in the public square and everybody stands out there and wants to watch. I have no idea why somebody would want to watch that or why they would even support that. I just think it's bizarre. But humans do stuff like that sometimes. So... You know, I I don't know. I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist, and I I can't speak to it, but I just know what what he did do and how he does what his mindset is. And I think it's very sad and unfortunate.
1: Well, Nate, you and I need to take a trip to Miami and just order a bunch of DoorDash.
0: (laughs) That's right. And see if this guy shows
1: up so so we can get him on the show. Uh, Last question for Charlotte. Nate, you got anything?
2: Yeah. So obviously you kind of paved the way and had to figure it out the hard way of what to do when something happens to, you know, either yourself or your daughter or anybody that you love, what would, what is like the process now? Like what, if somebody was being blackmailed or had their pictures put up on a site, like what's the first step? Do they just call the police or is there an organization you call?
0: Yeah, I would um, advise them to contact the Cyber Civil Rights Initiative. There's a website, and it's cybercivilrights.org. They have a hotline, so you can talk to someone. They have lots of resources. And if you need an attorney, you can do a Google on the Cyber Civil Rights Legal Project, and they have attorneys pro bono who will help victims. So those are your two best resources if you become victimized.
1: Wow. Uh, Let me ask one last question, and that is, since— the documentary since you helping all these victims these women uh can you share one story that stands out to you somebody that was either a victim of hunter moore or something else that ends in a positive way unlike the other two ladies that took their own lives
0: Oh, a positive way yeah <laughs> that makes it hard. I mean,
1: that's a shame. I mean, I
0: was gonna tell you the story about the teacher, but she ended up getting fired but that's the story that always makes me cry. It's just like I don't know, I just very get emotional on that story. but I mean, I mean the the fact that you know Kayla decided to be a real estate agent, I guess is a positive thing, you know, in her story and and now that she you know is signed on to trying to better society with this issue. so, you know, but I, I can't think of a you know, I don't think any of the victims thought of it as a positive and they don't to this day. That's why Most of them, I mean, it was very hard getting anybody to appear in that documentary. All of my main victims who I had like a group of like 40 that I had talked to and had regular communication with, none of them were willing to be in that documentary. None of them wanted their faces shown. They were afraid their photos would resurface. It's just something that they're super embarrassed about and they just don't want it part of their lives. So I don't think anybody really saw it as a positive, um, unfortunately.
1: Well, that's crazy. Well, you know, now that so much legislation has been passed and you know, you're getting somewhere with the, um, revenge porn, et cetera, et cetera. I would think that in some of these girls cases, they're at least able to get some type of closure. I, I would also think that in, in, I could be way off here, but if I'm a woman stuck in that situation with my photo out there and all I've seen or whatever act that I'm doing, you almost have to brainwash yourself and say, okay, it's out there. I did it. What's up? Big deal. And almost kind of take the reverse psychology role to, to make it go away. That's hard.
0: That's yeah, tough. but – but it's also the problem is, is that not all employers see it that way. And yeah. 80% of employers will do a search when you're going to apply for a job. And if they see something like that, they're not going to hire you or you'll get fired from your job like many teachers have and nurses and other people, executives, people in high profile positions have, you know, and that's the kind of people he wanted on the site. He got self-submits. He got people who were just, you know, 20 year old you know, people who are living at home, who send in their nude pictures, but that was not interesting to Hunter Moore. He wanted people who had something to lose, something who would, you know, people who would um, have their life ruined or who would be potentially going to commit suicide because that's what the site was about. You know, it was about humiliation. It wasn't about nude pictures. So, you know, it's, yeah, it's it's not that I mean you can say oh yeah I don't care about that but when everybody else around you does care and your parents don't even want to they want to disown you and your employer fires you and it follows you from job to job and you can't escape it and then you're you find a new guy you like and he's like oh I don't think I want to date you cuz you've got new pictures all over the internet and my mm-hmm. friends will see them and my parents will see them and you know it's affecting your life potentially forever and when your pictures are on one site you know it could be a week and then it's on another site and then a month later it's on five sites and then a year later it's on 55 sites and you know it's just it becomes impossible to ever remove so it can ruin your life that's yeah. absolutely the case
1: N- nate was part of that generation when hunters anyone is anyone up.com was a thing and when we were discussing this the other week um amongst your friends it was like passed around like it was viral before viral was it not
2: yeah, and I at least, uh, when I started paying attention to it, it was more of like his family or whatever, like people sending in their own photos. So I, I think I missed the beginning of when he was doing this, uh, terrible stuff. Uh, but still, it's yeah, the, these people sending that were sending in these photos. I wonder what if they regret that now, you know?
0: Oh, yeah, I, I don't know, but, um, yeah, the hacking happened. I mean, the hacking was kind of at the end. because I mean, he might have been hacking early on, but when he took the site down, it was, you know, that was right after all the hacking stuff had been happening. So um, at the beginning... I think it was self-submits initially, but I think that people were not that interested in that because these people wanted to be on the side, and that's not that interesting. You know, what are you going to do to people who want their pictures up? So, you know, you can't humiliate them and, you know, shame them.
1: So outside of wanting to know what Hunter Moore does for money, I would love a follow-up on Butthole Girl. That one was a (laughs) jaw-dropper. As soon as she said that with a straight face like it was her birth name, I looked at my wife and I said, You have got to be kidding me. This is not (laughs) real. It's real. So watch the documentary. uh, The Most Hated Man on the Internet. It's on Netflix. Charlotte Laws, she, uh, she just ran it. She was uh, absolutely amazing. <laughs> Th- thank you so much. I reached out to, to, your, to you and your office, and you got back to me right away, and we scheduled this, which I thought was an excellent conversation. So thank you so much for coming on. And maybe hopefully with this, you know, there's a great question asked by Nate. Um, is somebody that needs help, they're going to be able to get help now because they heard this conversation.
0: That's right. That's
1: right. Well, thanks for having me. All right. Take care. Bye-bye.